Today's Bible reading comes from Romans 10, 13 to 15 and Romans 15, 19 to 22. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Verse 19. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elkham, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. This is the word of the law. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here uh, this morning at Wangaratta Baptist. My name's Ryan Smith, as has already been mentioned, and I'm the uh, State Director for Global Interaction, which is the global mission agency for the Baptist movement in Australia. And as I come to share about Global Interaction a little, one of the things I want to affirm is my belief that the local church is central to global mission. Okay, so not only has God established this community, this fellowship of believers here in Wangaratta to reach the wider Wangaratta community, and that is why you're here. But not only has he put you here for that reason, but you remember when Jesus, in almost his last words to his disciples, said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as a local church, uh, God has uh, given you this, uh, this mandate and this commission to reach out to your local community, but also to the, to the wider world as well. And, and one of the things we believe is that the local church is central to global mission. And so we want to help to partner with you, resource you as you go about effective global mission. Now, to help you understand a little bit of our, our focus as an organisation, I guess, facilitating global mission, uh, I want to share with you a little illustration and um, I actually need three volunteers to join me for this one. Now, when we think of the whole world, um, you can basically um, divide the whole world up into three roughly equal parts, Okay. Uh, Helen and Josh and Faye are going to illustrate these three parts of the world for us today. Okay? So, the first part of the world is that third who would describe themselves as Christians. Okay? So, Helen, this is you. You're representing the Christians today in the world. Now, um, roughly a third of our world today would identify themselves as Christian. Now, whether it's only ticking a box on a census paper or whatever whatever it is, um, it's not really for us to judge, but roughly a third of the world today have had enough uh, exposure to the church or to the 
the gospel that they have, they have come, to, to, come to a point, even if it's only nominal, of identifying themselves as Christian. This is one third of the world today. Then there's another third of the world who wouldn't describe themselves as Christian, but they have access to the gospel. So this, this could be people, and Josh, you're the man for this job. Okay, this could be, this could, so this could be people in this wider community here in, in Wangaratta who may not describe themselves or identify themselves as Christian, but they've probably had some access to the gospel. They probably know a Christian person. Maybe they went to Sunday school or whatever it was. Uh, this is about a third of the world today as well. Uh, not Christian, but they have access to the gospel. And then there's one other third of the world who don't identify themselves as Christian, nor do they have access to the gospel. And Faye, you're going to represent this group today. And we call these uh, people least reached. And roughly a third of our world today uh, come from people groups uh, where they do not have any access to the good news of Jesus. They probably don't know a Christian person. Uh, There may be no churches within their um, their rough orbit. Um, in fact, many of these people will go right throughout their lives from birth to death without ever hearing the good news of Jesus in a way which makes sense to them. So this is, this is what our, our world looks like today. Now, just to help you understand something of where our uh, resources as a Christian church, and this is a worldwide Christian church, uh, uh, just, to, just to help you understand something of how uh, our resources are distributed amongst these three groups. I've got this bag of jelly, jelly beans that I'm going to um, share out amongst these three good people. So, Helen, you're representing the, the Christians. I wonder if you can put out probably both your hands, actually. Um, and, by, and by resources, what I mean is, I mean, our pastors and our workers who are, are working amongst these people. You, you'd really like a bucket, wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> our finances and and other practical resources as well. So, Helen, here we go. Okay, anyway, you've done a good job, a pretty good job. Um, (laughs) Roughly 96% of our resources as a worldwide Christian church. So, this is not Wangaratta Baptist, this is is worldwide Christian church, actually goes towards that third of the world who already identify as Christian. Okay. Okay. Then we come to that third of the world who don't identify as Christian, but they have access to the gospel. And Josh, this is you. Okay, so roughly 3% of our resources as a worldwide Christian church go towards this third of the world, and Faye's doing the maths there. So we'll come to Faye now, who's representing the least reached. And uh, actually, actually, it's not even... 1%, and I don't know if this is okay to do, but I'm going to cut the head off the jelly baby, and you can have that one. So, less than 1% of our resources as a worldwide Christian church go towards that third of the world who we would describe as least reached. Now, I don't share that with you to um, put you guys on a a guilt trip or anything like that. Um, We know that every person in the world needs to hear the good news of Jesus and to to grow to know him. But as we look at this, there's something not quite right about this picture, is there? And this is what motivates us as as a mission organisation to um, see the least reached 
in our world today uh, have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus in a way which makes sense to them. So, let's give these guys a hand. This is what we want to see. Helen's got it. Great. So, one of the things that challenges us today is that still one third of the world today, in our world of uh, modern communication and modern mobility, uh, still... Uh, does not have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus in a way which makes sense to them. And there's lots of reasons for that. Not all of those are within our control. But as a Baptist movement, uh, we have chosen to focus on eight least-reached people groups in Asia and Africa. So this is people like the the Khmer people of Cambodia, uh, a people group of around 16 million people in Cambodia... Cambodia is a Buddhist country. They're a Buddhist people group and it's a very poor country after what happened back in the 1970s with Pol Pot and um, the Khmer Rouge regime. We have a a small group of Australians working in uh, Cambodia, um, up in the north of Cambodia in Siem Reap and uh, part of that team is uh, Craig and Kim Barnes who are known to you, who you guys have been supporting and we we really uh, appreciate that. Craig and Kim uh, arrived last May. I believe you had a video last week of them sharing a little bit of Khmer language and and, uh, they're doing very well. You probably picked up on that but from those who have lived in Cambodia and learnt the language, they're saying that they're doing extremely well. So we're very encouraged by that. Recently, a colleague of mine asked a Khmer believer who had come from a Buddhist background but had come to faith in Jesus, what's the biggest barrier to a Khmer person following Jesus? And you know what his response was? Was that you have to betray your family. And what he was saying, uh, now we know that, that sometimes that is true. Sometimes the cost of following Jesus is, is that kind of a cost. Maybe not for us. But what he was actually saying was that in order to join the Christian community in Cambodia, the church for the most part is so different, is so Western that the average Khmer person has to practically deny their whole cultural identity to become a part of it. So this is why the Global Interaction Team and Craig and Kim are working so hard on language and culture in Cambodia because they want to learn what it might mean for the average Khmer person to follow Jesus as a Khmer person within their own culture, within what is familiar and, and, and culturally relevant to them. So, so pray for Craig and Kim, pray for our team there that they might uh, really come to understand uh, what it means for a Khmer person to follow Jesus in a way which is truly, truly ethnically Khmer um, and, and that they're able to reach their own people. And that's our vision, that we will see uh, faith communities established in Cambodia that are able to reach their own people. So how can you guys partner in this work? Well, firstly, pray. Pray for Craig and Kim. Pray for the Khmer people. Pray for more workers. We need more people to go and do what Craig and Kim are doing there. Learn the language and the culture. Build relationships with the people and share Jesus with them. We need people who uh, will give in partnership with our, our workers. So for every one of our workers, 
like Craig and Kim. Uh, it takes a whole team of people to support them financially and pray for them so that they can be there. And finally, you could consider going. There may be some people in this church uh, who God may call to, to go and be a part of one of our teams, whether it's in Cambodia or somewhere else. And after this service, if you uh, want to know more about what that might look like, please come and have a chat to me. Well, if you've got your Bibles, it might be worth just, just having or your device, whatever you, you use to read the Scriptures. It might be worth just, just having, having at least a finger in uh, Romans. How many of you have seen the movie The Castle? Uh, the Castle would have to be one of my favourite Australian movies. It, it's funny, mainly because of how it likes to poke a bit of fun at Australian culture. However, amidst the, uh, the seemingly endless one-liners, there, there is actually a plot to this movie. The castle tells the story of the Kerrigan family whose, whose family home is at risk of being compulsorily acquired uh, to make way for a planned extension to the Melbourne airport. And the movie, it's a, it's a wonderful study of family, of community, and of the, the Aussie battler standing up in the face of injustice. Now, a warning if you haven't yet seen this movie and think you might, now there is a lot of colourful language as well in it, so I just want you to know that. But there's a, there's a, a lovely scene partway through the movie when, having when the Kerrigan family, having decided they need to hire a lawyer, they choose this man, and can anyone remember his name? Dennis Denudo, okay, Dennis Denudo, who normally only deals in, in conveyancing law, uh, but He's standing before the judge and he's asked to state in law uh, his defence for why the Kerrigan family should be able to keep their family home. And Dennis Denudo appeals to the Australian Constitution in his defence. But when the judge asks him, what part of the Australian Constitution are you appealing to? In his typ typical bumbling way, he says, there is no one section, Your Honour, it's just the vibe of the thing. And he goes on, in summing up, it's the Constitution, it's Marbo, it's justice, it's law, it's the vibe. And no, that's it. It's just the vibe of the thing. And it's, it's, it's a painfully funny uh, section in the movie. But the reason I mention that is, is that if I asked you this morning to present your case from the Bible for global mission... I wonder which sections of the Bible you'd point to. Now, I'm not going to ask you that this morning because it's actually a bit of a trick question. And actually, the best answer to the question of where we find global mission in the Bible might be to quote Dennis Denudo. There is no one section, Your Honour. It's just the vibe of the thing. You see, we could go to the Great Commission, you know, Matthew 18:28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But that doesn't take into account the whole of the Old Testament which leads up to this, starting at least by the time of God's call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 where God says leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and all the peoples of the earth 
will be blessed through you. God's plan is that he would call this family who would become a nation, the nation of Israel, through whom the whole world would be blessed and drawn to their creator God. That was God's plan. Right back in Genesis 12, but we could argue even before that. And then there's the myriad of Psalms and prophetic writings like Psalm 67 and Isaiah uh, 60 calling the people of God, uh, the people of Israel back to their responsibility to the nations. Or even after the defining point in human history, you know, when Jesus uh, came incarnate into the, into the world and his death for our sins and his resurrection uh, to redeem us and restore us to life with God. And the beginnings of the church and the new people of God, we could point to scriptures like Romans 10 that's just been read to us a little earlier. How then can they, they call on the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? As it is written, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, actually mission is right throughout the Bible. There is no one section but rather a unifying thread right throughout the scriptures that tells the story of the mission of God to redeem humankind to himself. Christopher Wright in his uh, landmark book The Mission of God argues that rather than looking for a biblical basis for mission we should be recognizing the missional basis for the Bible. Because in fact the mission of God is at the heart of everything we find in Scripture. The, the only reason we have the Scriptures, he argues, is because of God's mission in the world to restore humanity to himself. That's why he had the Scriptures written. Now of course we need to be careful not to think of mission as everything that happens overseas and everything which happens in Australia as something else. It's actually all uh, one and the same. But this morning, since I uh, represent the Global Mission Agency uh, for the Baptist movement in Australia, I do want to explore what global mission looks like today in our world. The story of Australian Baptists on global mission actually started in 1885 with these five women. These were the first uh, to respond uh, to God's call to East Bengal, now uh, Bangladesh. And uh, this photo uh, is up in our national office. And I don't know about you, but they look a little intimidating, don't they? But actually, if you go up to that photo in our national office and look at it closely, they're all just young women, all in their 20s, all single. Two from Victoria, two from South Australia, and one from Queensland. They became known as the Five Barley Loaves. I don't know if you've heard this name before because at their commissioning service at Flinders Street Baptist in South Australia, uh, as they're about to go, the, the, the minister who commissioned them, Silas Mead, used that passage of the five loaves and two fish and he described these women as the five barley loaves. Such little, he said, amongst so many people, but God will bring the increase. And they're quite an iconic group of women now in Australian Baptist history. And from those beginnings, Global Interaction, or formally by our, our previous name, Australian Baptist Missionary Society, or ABMS, 
has sent over 1,000 workers into places like Papua New Guinea and Papua, Zambia and Zimbabwe, including Jan Dobson here who was serving uh, with ABMS at the time in, um, in Papua for a number of years. And we've seen many hundreds of thousands of people come to faith in Jesus uh, through people like these and like Jan and, and, the, many th- and, the, and the more than 1,000 others who have gone out over, the to- over those, those years. It's a great, great legacy. Now in those early days, mission was primarily from the Western world to the East, from places like Europe and North America and Australia into Asia and Africa. And that could be the image you have of mission. But what about today? Well, did you know that there are now more Christians in Africa than there are in Europe? And there are more Christians in Asia than there are in North America and Australia combined. Gone are the days when, when Western missionaries with their pith helmets headed off to deepest, darkest Africa. Global mission today is very much turning reverse with the centre of the Christian world moving from Europe to Africa. In fact, just last year I was at a mission conference in uh, Melbourne and the keynote speaker was a fellow by the name of Steve Miner who's the director of CMS, the Church Missionary Society, that's the Anglican Mission uh, Society in, in New Zealand. He's a Kenyan man and not only are CMS in New Zealand facilitating New Zealand missionaries to other parts of the world, they are also facilitating Kenyan missionaries into New Zealand who are being very effective in their work. And increasingly, global mission is becoming a movement from east to west. Actually, do you know which country in the world currently sends missionaries to more countries on earth than any other? Anyone guess? It's not China. It's close by, though. South Korea. South Korea sends more missionaries, sends missionaries to, to more countries in the world than any other country today. And so it begs the question, I think, If the modern missionary workforce now looks more like this, what then is our role in global mission today? Should global mission even be a priority for the Western world? Well, around 20 years ago, Global Interaction made two important decisions in response to the changing landscape of world mission. Firstly, we changed our name from ABMS or the Australian Baptist Missionary Society to Global Interaction and in some ways that's been a very difficult change because uh, it's not self-evident who we are now through our name but the reason that happened was to move away from words like Baptist and Missionary and Society which probably had a, a more Western colonial kind of feel to them to Global Interaction reflecting that mission is actually Uh, the interactive work of God uh, in in all directions, missions everywhere to everywhere. But we also made this choice, led by God, we believe, to focus on least reached people groups. You see, despite the reality that Christianity is now a global movement, still one third of the world do not have the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus in a way which makes sense to them. But rather than being whole countries and and continents, these people exist in people groups who who for one reason or other are isolated from the gospel. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, 
It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And like Paul, this has been the focus of global interaction to share the good news of Jesus where it has not yet been heard. And so we focused on eight least reached people groups in Asia and Africa. Now, of course, you are already aware of the Khmer people of Cambodia, a people group where less than, certainly less than 2% of the population would describe themselves as, as Christian, probably less than 1%. But let me just tell you quickly about another people group Global Interaction is, is working amongst. And hopefully this will give you a picture of what we hope to see happen in Cambodia. In November last year, I uh, travelled to Thailand with a group of Australian pastors to visit Global Interaction work there. This is the group and you might notice there that I'm the only Anglo-Aussie in the group and uh, there was a reason that that I took this group of people. Did you know that actually more than one-third of the Baptist churches in Victoria who are now meeting today will meet in a language other than English? More than one-third in Victoria. It's increasingly becoming... Uh, how our movement looks and we are wanting to partner with this church as recognising that our next wave of cross-cultural workers, many of them are going to come from churches like this and so we want to build stronger partnerships with them. So I took this group of Australian pastors over to Thailand and it was a fantastic trip. I loved it. They were one of the most adventurous groups I've taken. Normally when I take a group over you have to worry about what they're going to eat, whether the food's going to be too spicy it was me they had to worry about because they were up for anything. But uh, anyway, they were mature pastors who get the complexity of intercultural stuff because they've had to journey with it themselves. Um, three of those yeah, have come from a refugee background. Thailand's a fascinating country. I don't know how many of you have been to Thailand. A few of you have been there. Okay. You may know it as the land of smiles. <laughs> But it literally, it literally actually means land of the free. Thailand means land of the free. It's the only country in Southeast Asia never to have been colonised by a Western power. And they're very proud of that. Around 80% of the country is made up of the ethnic Thai people. And uh, they are resistant to foreign influence. To be Thai is to be Buddhist, they would say. And Christianity, by and large, is seen as a foreign religion. So they're, they're, they're quite resistant to Christianity for that reason. And uh, it's, it's, less, it's about 0.15% of the ethnic Thai people today um, identify as Christian. That's a less than, what's that, one in every 3,000, roughly? One in every 3,000 people. And most of those who identify as Christian... Uh, I go to a Western kind of church that's unable to reach, and they're unable to reach their own people through that. So we've been in there for a number of years now, about 15 years. And we've been asking the question, what if God is actually already present in Thailand at work amongst the ethnic Thai? And what if it's actually possible to follow Jesus as an ethnic Thai person without the veneer of Western Christianity. You know, this is actually very much the same question Paul the Apostle faced as a missionary to the Gentiles. Was it necessary 
for the Gentiles who were coming to faith to be Jewish, to follow Jesus, or could they follow Jesus as a Gentile? Was it necessary to become Jewish to follow Jesus? And Paul insisted, no, it wasn't. Global Interaction's mission statement is empowering communities to develop their own distinctive ways of following Jesus. What would it mean for an ethnic Thai person to follow Jesus as an ethnic Thai person? And right now, out in rural Thailand, um, in a group of uh, villages about four hours to the east of Chiang Mai, we have a small house church movement of around 50 ethnic Thai believers. And that may sound small, but this is actually incredibly radical in Thailand to have 50 former Buddhist people following Jesus as a house church uh, movement. And I just want to show you a a little video. um, uh, And uh, the man speaking is a man by the name of Prakir. We know him as Paul. That's the English name. And he he actually speaks quite good English, this man. So he speaks in English. But it will give you a sense of what's happening there. Paul is an ethnic Thai faith community leader. The Global Interaction cross-cultural team continues to equip and nurture Paul as he equips and nurtures his community. These small and vibrant faith communities are the beginnings of our vision becoming a reality. This is their story. I consider myself just starting my new job. Uh, There's no retirement in serving God. And now my job is to follow his steps and follow his teaching. We have what we call house church. We use our house as our church. And we meet to basically study the Bible. And we each exchange our idea after we have somebody read certain verses in the Bible. We discuss what we think and can we apply that to our daily life. Although we are small, we are a very strong Facebook group. This is very rare for this type of community because this country is Buddhist country and it's very hard for anybody to convert to any other religion. We have the culture, the tradition to stop them from changing their belief. For us as a Jesus follower or Jesus disciple, it's never, never been easy. I would say people fear for us to convert everybody into Christianity. Some of them are afraid if they convert into Christianity, something bad will happen to them, which they cannot explain. We do not want to go back to our old belief, so our action, we try to talk to each other, try to guide each other. Lagatong Festival in Thailand is the festival where we set the float into the flowing water to let it float away with all the bad things that happen in their life. Some of our members do participate in that festival, but we try to tell each other that whatever culture or traditional thing that we do, we have to keep God in mind that we don't go back and worship what we used to worship. We only worship God, Jesus. Some of our believers may think that the Loikatong festival is to set the fruit to God, send our love to God, which we don't stop in doing that. Some people put cloth into the fruit so that they also now to other people that see the fruit that we are God people, we are Jesus' disciples. 
Many people in the past have asked us to pray for them. They know that we exist in this community. They have asked us, maybe as their last resort, to pray for them, ask our God to help them. I believe wholeheartedly that we set a good example to others by our endurance and perseverance try to be the salt and the light for Jesus. We try to support each other by visit each other. We have some widows in our group where we will pay more attention to them. There are obstacles or barriers in joining our group. Some of our members have been ostracized, some have been scolded, some have been excused of losing his or her mind by joining us. Also, in the beginning, some fear of losing the connection with the community. We believe that God has been uh, protecting us. Same with me. I know God always helped me. Every, every day I wake up, I thank God. It's actually very exciting. I, uh, I've spent time with most of those believers there, just uh, gathering with them in their, in their house churches, and, and it's amazing. I don't know, I get pictures of what the early church must have been like, you know, as they gather in their houses and, and seek to follow Jesus within their own cultural frameworks. It's, it's very, very exciting. And right now, um, our team there are looking to move into some other villages nearby, uh, to, to see some new house churches um, commence in those villages which can join with these ones as well. So how can you be involved in this work? Well, as I mentioned before, pray. This is what we'd like to see happening in, in Cambodia. Uh, we've been in Thailand a little bit longer um, and it's taken a number of years to get to this point. But, but pray, pray for Craig and Kim. Pray that... Um, as they learn the language and the culture that he might put people in their place who they can develop significant relationships with and empower them. As I mentioned before, give. And I know as a church that you've already done that so that Craig and Kim can be there. But I'd encourage you to consider going too. Maybe to visit. Maybe there are some of you here who, who might consider this is something that God could be calling you to long term as well you know people often ask what, is, what, what, what does it take to be a cross cultural worker or a missionary and, and I always say the first thing is a heart to share your faith with Jesus with other people um, but some of the best people are, are those who, who have done Sunday school teaching just able to share uh, the gospel in very very simple but profound ways with people I think it takes a sense of adventure as well, it's not for everybody and cross-cultural mission is not God's call on everybody but you know increasingly in Australia I think we need to be thinking like missionaries in our own country because increasingly we live in a context which is resistant to institutional Christianity but interestingly less resistant to Jesus so I wonder, what might it look like for the average Wangaradian? Is that a word? Wangaradian. I'll say Wangaradian. <laughs> but what, what might it look like for the average Wangaradian to follow Jesus as a Wangaradian? How is God already at work in this Wangaradda community around you? And how might you as a church need to adapt and flex to accommodate that?
You see, we have to believe, don't we, that God is already at work in our community around us, drawing, prompting, calling people to himself. Well, may you be attentive to God's voice and God's way within this community and might you have the courage as a church uh, to get on board with what God is doing, uh, that his name may be, be proclaimed and that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the good news of, of Jesus. And we thank you that somewhere, Lord, in our past as people here, you have made yourself known to us. Someone shared the good news with us in a way that made sense to us in our own language. And we thank you that by your Spirit's prompting, Lord, you, you called us to respond to that. And Lord, we thank you for the wonder that you call us to participate in your mission in the world. We thank you for that. And Lord, we pray this morning, as we think about what you are doing in the world and in our own lives, Lord, that you would make us attentive to what part in your great mission for the world you have called us to. And Lord, as you make that known to us, I pray that you would give us the courage to follow in the paths you lead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.